Hi, I'm Andrew. And I'm Jason. And I'm Martin. This is Hemispheric Views. I have to start with a question straight away. How would you actually record a podcast on Windows? I have absolutely no idea how you'd do it. Mm, Windows Media Player. Would that do it? Yeah, maybe. I think there's a voice recorder. You can download a voice recorder from the Microsoft Store. I don't know if it's default. That was a few years ago when I looked at that, I think. It's probably no audio hijack, though, is it? Isn't that funny? Like, you just have no idea how to do something on another platform. No. Yeah, doesn't matter. I mean, surely people do it, right? They must. They must. Actually, I reckon a lot of people would go for web apps. Like, you'd have Uh, Zencasters and Otter.ai, because you don't really even have to do that with a native app now. It's just all done and transcribed on the web. I bet you're right. There are a lot of those webby webby things that let people kind of... And then then you, like, edit it right in there, too, I think. So, that's probably... Yeah, I could see that. Okay. It's not how we roll. So are we are we going to switch are we all going to collectively switch to Windows then so we can do that? Is that what you're suggesting? Negative. Oh, okay. Keep just status quo. Keep yeah, doing what we're yeah, doing. Yeah, just, okay. We're good. Jason, have you got um iOS 17 going? I have it on one device. Um I have it on my phone only right now. It's actually, I'm, I've been doing a very annoying thing for the last couple of days since it came out. Um, there's this feature in accessibility where you go into it and you read sentences and it records you reading these sentences for, I think it, it said it was going to take an hour, but it only took me maybe 20 minutes. And you just read all these like seemingly random sentences and it's, Effect, I, I think what it's doing is it's effectively making my voice that I can use. Like if I had, if there were, if there were a reason that I could not use my voice from an accessibility, accessibility standpoint, I could use the phone to speak, but not like in a Siri voice, but mm. like my actual voice. Like a deep fake. So I was very intrigued by that. I don't need it obviously, but I, I'm just, in, I'm curious about the technology part of it. So I went through the whole training thing for, like I said, like 20 minutes and read all these weird sentences and started to go a little bit crazy because I was just in my office by myself, just reading these like weird sentences to myself, looking at the phone, trying to keep the phone exactly six inches from my mouth, like it said to. And then when it's done, it says, okay, now plug your phone in and like turn the screen off, which jokes on you always on screen. So I'll figure that out. Um, <laughs> and it's going to like do the crazy processing or whatever on device, all on device to like make my voice, um, say whatever. So I was like, okay, cool. Tonight when I go to bed, I'll throw it on the little chargey dock on my nightstand, the little MagSafe thing, wake up in the morning and it'll be done. Get up and it's like, Hey, this is paused. You need to plug your phone in. It was like, Oh, like phys- I need to actually plug like a lightning cable in apparently. Okay. So I did that. Uh, a couple days later, I'm still like trying to get that to work. It says it's 90% done, which 
If you've ever worked in any working environment and asked somebody how far along is a project, they're always going to say it's 90% there, right? So TBD on- Do you say that? Uh, never. No, I'm, I always lowball it. I'm like, we're like 30% because then you're always going to beat it. But um, so I, I don't know. I was hoping actually to record this whole episode using this fake iPhone voice that's supposedly me, but maybe episode 88 will be that and that will just be a, a version of me. But I think that's really cool from a technology standpoint to be able to have the device speak on your behalf based on what you type, but in your own actual voice. I think it just lends a bit of, I don't know, humanity to it in a way where it's not just like robot voice. So I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully it'll finish sometime and we'll actually get to use it. That's cool. And just to clarify, when you say the new iOS that is out and I have installed it, you mean developer beta one, which is yes, out. Yeah. Like, this is not for your normal everyday person. No, They're looking at no, a software no. update. Where is it? I want this feature. Wait another three or four months and you might get it. September. Yeah. September. Yeah. Or yeah. I guess public beta in July. But yeah, for me, developer beta one uh, on day one at hour one, basically gold master as far as I'm concerned. So let's just get it on there. I say I've always loved that term. It sounds like some kind of championship level or status that you've achieved. The gold master. Yeah. It's very over the top. See how I think of it. Of course, my mind goes straight to the Matrix. Do you remember when Neo walks into the tea house and reloads and sees the code in the room, but sees that Seraph is golden code? Mm. He's a different kind of program. Gotcha. He's like the gold master. Mm-hmm. He is. Yeah. Andrew's like, all right, thanks, Martin. Apple held like a little, a little event that none of us went to, of course, because we're not that special. We watched it on the live stream. Well, on the delayed stream. Because I'm not getting up at 1 a.m. Perth time. <laughs> WWDC Worldwide Developer Conference, hmm. the big keynote. Yes. They they announced some new Macs. They announced some new software updates. They announced a new pair of ski goggles. No matching Parker though. Pretty disappointing. Well, they have it. It's just it's exclusive to Apple Park uh, gift shop. You got to go to Apple Park to actually. You got to go to Apple Parker. Parker. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. I like that. I just imagine it would be like you would just get wet and it'd be like, your jacket is now dry. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. www.dc.net happened. And I have I have five things to talk about. Okay. um, Because I'm surprised it's so low. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Five things. Well, one I already did. So technically I only have four left. Okay. So one was the accessibility personal voice thing. Okay. Um, and then I've got four others. Type so 45, you, Jason. Type 45, yeah. Do you want me just to just to run through them? Do you want to give feedback? What do you, how do you want to go about mm-hmm. this? Speed run. Okay, speed run. Here we go. 15-inch <clears throat> MacBook Pro. Uh, oop, sorry. 15-inch MacBook Air. Sorry, there we go. MacBook Air. I think this is an incredible option for the masses that want a Mac, because I think the 13 inch is great, but like the phones, I think more so on the computer, people really want a bigger screen. Like the more screen you can get, the better. So now I think it's just, it fits this perfect model of we have a 1315 for a MacBook Air, we have a 1416 for a MacBook Pro. I feel like that really covers the range 
from both a screen size and performance standpoint really, really well. So I think the 15-inch MacBook Air is is a really good thing to have. Uh, comments, questions, anything, or you want me to keep going? I have one question about the screen resolution of the 15-inch. Is it is it too low? Have they actually increased? Because I read something that the resolution hasn't been improved and it's it's significantly less than the pro which doesn't surprise me but is it if it's just the 13 inch 13 inch resolution just magnified that's not great so it says here display 13.6 inch on the 13 inch yep okay so it says here for pixels 2560 by 1664 on the 13 inch and 2,880 by 1,864 pixels on the 15. Okay, so it is bigger. Hmm, with the PPIs and all that. I'm not very good at that math off the top of my head. But it seems like it'd be reasonable on par. I think it's the sort of thing that you could probably quibble about if you did some advanced test on it, but the masses are not really going to notice. It's going to be sharp either way. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's going to be an incredible machine for a lot of people. So MacBook Air, awesome. Um, next one, Safari Spaces. I think that's great because that's one of my favorite features of the Arc browser, which is having dedicated spaces for my different kind of personas in my life. I think that is that is one of the biggest draws to Arc for me. So I'll be very curious to see how they do it in Safari and how they do it differently, the same or otherwise. Um, next one is the Vision Pro. So Vision Pro, um, the hardware specs are incredible. If you know anything about the VR space or these different headsets, just this general area of what the hardware is, the specs of the Vision Pro are phenomenal, like next level kind of stuff. And that's super cool, and I'm very excited about that. That being said, I don't fully know what I would do with this because I've never used one, obviously. It's not going to be out until next year. So for me personally, I'm just sort of parking this in the back of my brain for six months and not going to even worry about it. I'm not going to speculate. I'm not going to do anything because I haven't seen it. I haven't used one. It is the very beginning of it. So I'll be very interested to see what actually ships uh, beginning of next year. And I think from a price standpoint, it's 3500 which is a lot. <laughs> yeah. Let's just all, let me just say here, let's remember how much the original Macintosh cost in 1984 and how much the Lisa cost before that. So I think that kind of puts all this in perspective. Very expensive, but cheap as chips by those earlier ideas. I also don't see this as a primary device. I don't think you're going to walk into a store with this first version and say, should I get a MacBook Pro or a Vision Pro? Oh, I'll just get a Vision Pro like that. Like that's not happening right now. But same thing with like the Apple Watch, right? Where you didn't get the original Apple Watch and say, I don't need an iPhone anymore. Like screw that. So it's it's similar in that vein. And, you know, it's, it's a specialized, specialized product for a select group of people that will that will use such a thing and eventually it will turn into something else. I'm I'm mostly just intrigued by the the tech that they're building now like going out into other areas. I think that's going to be interesting. 
So I just think it's way too early to say anything about it, honestly. I think there's a lot more to say about the Vision Pro, but I'll let you finish here. Yeah, I just want to say quickly, the first Apple Watch that was released, one of the one of the models was $10,000. So just keep that in. Would you have bought a Series 0 Apple Watch and paid $10,000? Some people did. I certainly wouldn't have. So that makes the Vision Pro look cheap. Can I make a quick comment on that? I actually wrote on my blog uh, several years ago when that was first announced uh, a piece that is probably really outdated where I, wo- uh, where I wrote why the Apple Watch needs to be expensive. Now, reading that, now you go, that seems ridiculous. That's outdated. Of course, it should be cheaper so people have access to it. I totally agree. But in that first year, like with the Vision Pro, it completely blew everyone else out of the water. Anything like Pebbles or other smartwatches, case in point, I think the same with these headsets. So by going for that higher echelon, that higher level, I think it make everyone it makes everyone else look totally irrelevant. So I think we'll see that price drop. And this is really just a big statement to get everyone ready for what the cream of the crop actually will be. So I think it's actually quite a wise move. I, I don't really think there's a lot to scrutinize about it. I mean, it's it's as with every product that ever comes out ever, no one is forced to buy it. So that's good. I'm glad about that. <laughs> and it's a first gen. And the first gen of everything is is pricey. That's how these things tend to go. So I, I think it'll be, again, very interesting to see where it goes. But the fact that they came out with such incredible hardware on a Gen 1, and it's still relatively small, in all things considered, in terms of headsets, um, I think it's it's cool. I'm very intrigued to see what it is. I'm, I'm not, like, clamoring to get one right now. Um, but I, I do think it's going to be a very interesting thing to watch and how, and mostly not mostly, but a lot of it I think will be, how does this product inform the direction of other adjacent products? Right. Because, you know, we had the Mac then we had iOS and iPad OS, and those things all started to kind of mix together over time. Then we had the Apple Watch and like half the things on the Vision Pro are like Apple Watch pieces. It looks like there's like a couple a couple crowns on there. There's the little pull tabs from the Apple Watch Ultra. Uh, there's so there's like side button turned camera shutter. Right. Yeah. yeah. So there's like some clear like cross pollination of stuff, which on the surface of it at first you could easily be like, oh, they're just, you know, that's so dumb. They're just making they're just pulling parts and reusing them in other places. But as hardware pieces become less and less, like you almost want them to be more unified across all things because they become more specialized in how they work. And like a crown has a twist and a twist and a push, maybe a pull someday. Like there's different things it could do. So I think by being as similar as possible across platforms, it just makes it that much more natural to jump right in and be like, oh, I know how this works already. I know what this is going to do. I have an expectation versus relearn everything on every single device. Like nobody wants to do that. So yeah, that, I think the Vision Pro is is super interesting and, and anything that anybody says today doesn't matter because it's going to be eight months before we actually see what it's like. And it's not going to be it's not going to be available in Australia. So Martin and I don't even have the opportunity to buy it, even if we wanted to and could. 
Oh, is it, it, it not on, not on, this is like an iPhone situation? Later in the year, they said. I, I thought it was only US only at this stage. So that was my understanding of it. Um, it also makes me, it also makes me wonder whether, whether our internet infrastructure will be able to support it. So you've got two 4K screens, you could potentially be streaming double, two sets of 4K video down. How many people, how many people have bandwidth, home bandwidth in Australia to support that? Now, now, Jason, you you with your gigabit fiber, not an issue. Good to go. Gigabit mm-hmm. fiber in Australia, unheard of. Like we, yeah, it just we doesn't actually happen. just plug. We plug the fiber directly into the headset. It's just yeah. So, Andrew, don't you dare question an Australian's ability to thrive on Telstra's greatest Australia-wide network. All right. I'm sorry. How, How dare, dare I? you? How dare so, I? Side side tangent on the broadband. Do you all have caps, like data caps? Or is it just that the speeds are not super low or not super high? I think it depends on the plan. So I have uncapped data. I have infinite data, but infinite to the but point the that you can actually- the speeds are lower. No, the speed stays the same, but because the speed is relatively low to begin with, how much can you actually And they say get? stuff like, oh, at around this time, it's a high traffic period and you may encounter blah, blah, blah. And I don't so know, it's like, even like if that. you had a cap, you couldn't hit it because they bring down the speed so much that it's like, you can't download it all anyway. Yeah, I mean, our plans are, uh, speed is useless, you know, and it's, we've always got a, we're always at a geographical disadvantage because so much of the data is coming from the US anyway. It's got to travel halfway around the world through some undersea pipes to get here. But it's definitely been underinvested at the local level. So we're always going to struggle until that is improved. What else we got to about WWDC? Martin, you've been quite quiet on it. Any thoughts? Well, we were letting Jason have his little... I have one more. I have one more to throw out. Yeah, uh, see? The, Still going. The iOS... No, I said five. <laughs> and this, is, this is number five. This is number five. iOS keyboard. I like the changes in the iOS keyboard in terms of spelling correction and the way that it flows for like identifying words you're going to type and so forth. I think they've updated it in a good way and I enjoy using it. I think it's great. The only um, since since Martin is um, taking the piss, as it were, I'm going to throw in a number six, which is in. I'm happy to hear that in messages. When you bring up the little plus to like do other things like uh, emoji and stuff, there's this new menu that is so incredibly different design wise than anything else on the system. Mm. And I have to believe that we have not seen anything in terms of new design for iOS 17, if this is any indication whatsoever. So I find it hard to believe that this whole menu would be updated in this new weird design and the rest of the system would stay exactly the same. That seems unlikely. But do you like this design? Is it a good thing? I don't have a feeling about it at this point. It's just sort of, it's so different than everything else that I think if it were system-wide, I think it could work, I, and I and I'm I'm okay with a system wide refresh in terms of just how things look and how they feel. So I I would be okay with this. Am I right in saying that it actually covers the whole screen, or it does this translucent thing? Most of it, yeah. Right, because it reminds me of the uselessness of the iPad version of the Control Center. This little thing you toggle from the corner, but everything must be obscured. So I suppose that's a similarity. But you're talking more about the design of how the menu looks or is navigated. Is that right? I, I'm going to go out on a limb and assume this is like an A-B test in terms of like, hey, we're going to kind of seed this out in one area and sort of 
feel out what people are feeling about it to kind of use that going forward for what we decide to do. I mean, obviously they're not going to base a whole redesign on like that, but uh, something, I feel like there's more to that menu than meets the eye. So there you go. That's my five things. Plus one. Sorry, Martin. Would you, would you like to talk about WWDC? I had no problem. I said it was a great idea. Mm. Andrew just said you hadn't said much. So I went, (laughs) I'm waiting. (laughs) Go ahead. Fire it out. What was your like top whatever list? I thought everything was very impressive. Uh, Vision Pro plus all the other systems. A couple of standouts for me were hearing that there'd be more flexible layouts for Stage Manager on iPadOS. I was quite excited about that because I don't like Stage Manager on the Mac. I think it's Mm -hmm. kind of redundant given the extensive system of windowing and management that we already have. But on the iPad, I really liked those first few steps. It was that dynamic sizing or placement which kind of put me off. So the fact that it'll be more flexible is really good. On the Mac side of things, I'm eager to try the new kind of column of widgets or putting widgets anywhere on your desktop. Oh, yes. I really loved dashboard in the past and being able to maybe have things to make the most of my screen to the left, which doesn't really ever have much. I know you can put them anywhere, but I can imagine arranging it on the side there to have kind of like a menu bar set of items somewhere else. So I'm keen on that. Yes. I completely forgot about the widgets on the desktop. I'm very excited for that. I would love to have a couple, like you said, on the left side, probably top left corner-ish would be a prime location for those. That would be great. And especially now that you can like actually do something with them and it's not just a big dumbass button to go to the app, that's huge. Interactive widgets, I think, is exactly where, where it should be going. Yeah. And I had some extra thoughts on the Vision Pro, but I feel like we could talk about that a lot. Andrew, do you want to throw anything else in feature-wise before maybe we go down a rabbit hole on that? Yeah, okay. I'm just going to, yeah, just a couple more focusing on the actual show itself rather than the products or the updates because Jason's done a good job covering those. Um, first of all, it's Jaws Wiak that does the Apple Watch, right? Is that, that's him? No, no. Kevin Lynch. Sorry, Kevin I always forget Lynch. get those guys mixed up. Kevin Lynch. They are all white men who wear interesting shirts and sweater vests and stuff. So it's okay. Yeah, yeah, and they, and they do their apple. They do their apple hands all the same. Um, Kevin Lynch. It always sounds like he's about to come down with a horrible cold. Bit nasal. And I always feel sorry for him. He's like, oh, oh, Kevin, you're you're just about to get the flu again. Poor guy. He's the fitness guy. It's not a good look to have a guy that always sounds like he's about to have a cold. So that's something they should maybe think about. Optimizing your health. (laughs) The grass at Apple Park. Man, that looks so spongy. I was watching him in his sneakers step on that grass. And it just sunk, you know, two inches into it. It was like, oh, I'd like to lie on that grass. That was my other takeaway. It's very comfortable grass. Can attest. Are they leaning too heavily into Craig Federighi being cool, like daggy cool. No, no. Lean harder into that. Was the, okay. Cause they did the bus, they did the basketball with the, with the throwback to the tracksuit kind of look. Awesome. So good. They did the three neck guitar. Awesome. Okay. They did the force grab and release of the iPad. Could you turn that down? If someone said to you, Hey, we're going to do this like Jedi thing with an iPad. There's no way you could turn that down. 
he did the power stance wearing tight jeans, like where he spreads his legs quite f- wide apart. I don't recall that one, but I'll take your word for it. Okay, he does that. And he did another reference to the crack marketing team, which has become like his trademark. Oh, yeah. That, that's like a bit now. Yeah. So, so we're still okay. They haven't overplayed their, their Federighi hand. I say play it while you got it, you know? Like, Craig's not going to be there forever. You got to use that while you got it. Okay. Okay, cool. Because I still love the guy. Don't get me wrong. I think it's really cheesy, and I'm sure that it doesn't work for a lot of audience members or cultures around the world, but they don't have and haven't had Steve Jobs for a very long time, right? And I think Tim Cook, for all of his CEO logistical prowess, knows that he's not that guy. So if they can find any way to humanize the event, make it accessible yeah. for all the non developer nerd people who are watching it, particularly now that it's 100% online, for everyone who isn't like a media person, I think they need okay. something like that. Yep. Otherwise, it would just be like watching some cringy meta event or sleeping through a Microsoft presentation. Okay. Now, that is a good segue to my very last point. And I'm almost ashamed to admit this, but after two, how long was it? Two and a half hours, basically, it seemed like it went for. Yeah. So, halfway through the Vision Pro presentation, I actually started to get a bit bored and started to tune out. Which is probably not ideal, and I was probably in the minority. I'm sure most people were, like, super enthused. But I'm sitting here in Perth watching a stream, and after that long length of time, I was just like, yeah, okay, get on with it, get on with it. And I, some of the little details of the Vision Pro actually passed me by. Um, I just didn't really take it in because I was just over it by that point. So I think it went too long. But they're also very dense. They're more dense than they used to be. So it's a little bit more exhausting. Just less less Apple Watch, less myopia, less that stuff. I just feel like it could it really could have been its own thing. Like I know why it has to be at WWDC because it's a platform and people need to develop, but if it weren't if it weren't that people needed to develop for it, which I get that doesn't make any sense, but if somehow it just like I don't know, say it ran iPad apps or whatever, like, which would be stupid, but let's just say that it did. It could easily be its own product event by itself. And it, it feels like it kind of needed that because after we did Mac, iPhone, iPad, watch. TV. I feel like mentally it was just like all that the brain could hold. And to do a whole nother event, basically... It was just like there was no chance to reset. It's almost like if this were on day two or something, like they would never do that. But let's say there was a day two <laughs> keynote or something. And like that was day two only for an hour. I feel like that would have really helped the like mental separation just because it's such a different product, right? Like a Mac and an iPhone and an iPad and a watch. They're all apps. They're all on a flat screen. You poke them, you don't poke them, you mouse them, whatever. They're all kind of the same stuff. But to have this like holy shift in like mindset of what is even possible, I don't know if we had enough like brain cells left at that point to like fully comprehend. It was just like, wow, shiny. Ah, my brain turned off. I don't know what to even do. That's that's kind of I feel like Maybe what happened is that yeah that's pro- that's probably a really good way of putting it. I mean, the, don't and don't get me wrong, the tech in it is incredible. 
It's amazing. But also I think as well, because I'm looking at it going like, it's amazing, but it's just a tech demo at this point. Like, it's not for me. I'm not about to go buy one. Nobody I know is, well, maybe Jason is going to buy one. But it's so yeah. far into the future that it's like, it's not, it's cool, but it's not actionable. Sorry, Jason, was that yet a throwaway yet or a confirmation yet That's about buying probably it? Probably both. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. also, like, of all the, they, I think they even said this multiple times, but like, these kinds of products cannot be demoed on a T like you can't watch that. There's just no part of it that translates zero. It doesn't work. They show like the T-Rex coming out of the wall and it's like, it's a flat, I'm on a flat screen with not spatial 3d audio around my head. It won't translate. It's that's the biggest problem with things in the VR space is that there is absolutely nothing you can do short of putting a headset on somebody and saying, do it. As soon as you do it, you go, holy crap, this is unreal. But you cannot translate that. It's the worst kind of product to demo on this kind of thing. Until you can walk into an Apple store, look at the pixel density of this screen, and you're looking at it on a monitor that straight up says HDMI on the bottom right corner. Like you're not going to be able to know the pixel density, right? Like it's just not going to happen. Like all three of us have used some sort of VR uh, um, goggles before, right? Yeah. Yeah. We have one. Yeah. Here I've used one. Martin, sure. you've used one. Yeah. I only ever once and it made me feel a little bit ill, but yes. Okay. But yeah, it is cool, isn't it? When you put them on and, and you're like, whoa, you look around, it's like far out. It would be really interesting to know. And Apple's doing it at a super high resolution. That is going to be key, especially to like the sickness thing, the refresh rate, the resolution, the eye tracking. That is what also makes different it- lenses for different eyes, kind of like prescription. So you can tell that they've thought about accessibility a bit more. And, and, and the fact that you're looking around, still seeing your own space. Yeah, everything else, whenever I've used one, I've launched, I'm launched into suddenly I'm on a mountaintop or you're on Mars or something like yeah. that. This is mm-hmm. much more like yep. you put it on and I'm right where I was. I'm just looking at everything as a video display rather than live. But if they can make that convincingly so it looks like real life, that's true augmented reality at that point, isn't it? In a sense. I mean, it's, it's not because your reality is being faked, but, it's still, but it is being augmented. It's, it's, it's a really interesting and different approach to what I've ever used before. This conversation on whatever show episode is seven or eight months from now, I think is going to be very interesting after we've been to an Apple store and tried it or seen it in some way. I think it's going to be a very interesting conversation to, to look forward to. Something that I wanted to bring up, which is more of a, it's not negative, but it's kind of a critique or my, let's say, social concern about the product. I've heard a lot of people on different podcasts and read people in different blogs and articles talk about their social concerns about things like, recording the children's birthday party through the headset or how lonely people look, you know, in rooms and stuff. I totally understand this and I agree with a lot of that to a certain extent, but I think what people are missing in this sense is we've gone through the same kind of moral panic or social issues with phones, other computers, AirPods. People continue to use them in ways that are inappropriate or weird or antisocial, but for the most part, we iron out what these problems are and work out where and how they should be used, right? So I think it's weird and it will be strange, but 
we'll get past it. The thing that I'm a little bit hmm about is as technically impressive as the product is, and in particular things like these environments, you know, these environments that you can put around yourself like you're in the middle of, I don't know, Yosemite National Park while watching a movie on a fake big screen, right? It's when it passes into that area of escapism or mindfulness that I think this is going to be one of the most interesting things that we see develop over time. Because have either of you seen a movie called Aniara? Does not does not sound familiar, no. Okay, and you're probably going to go, oh, of course, because it's a Swedish movie. And you're going, oh, here's one of Martin's weird film festival moments. Here we go, yeah. Watching the presentation, all of that stuff about floating mindfulness beads and escape in this environment in your lounge room, it is 100% the same as this thing from this movie. So if you let me digress for a second, because I think this will be interesting to revisit in a year, like Jason was saying. Basically, it's the story of these people who are trying to escape a ruined Earth. Basically, everyone's shipping off to Mars on this ship. And the Aniara is this kind of carrier of people moving to Mars. And on the ship, they have this technology called MEMA. And MEMA is essentially this room where you escape the misery of what you're going through. And they have fully synthesized virtual reality representations of what Earth used to be like. So they're escaping the misery. Yeah. yeah, similar ideas. Other other sci-fi stuff has done it before. But connecting to the Vision Pro, what I thought was interesting was it's like this luxury liner matching up with the Vision Pro as a device, helping you escape the reality of your everyday. And I kind of think it's just a little bit strange, the idea that you would essentially be sitting in your own home around what would once be things like communal televisions or social spaces with family, and then try to cut off from your own relaxing sanctuary in the world by layering another virtual experience over the top. Because I know people probably use them out there, but I'm not a huge kind of advocate of mindfulness through screens. And I think this whole part of the presentation actually kind of contradicted Apple's point about screen time and screen health. Because if they're advocating that this becomes some sort of cannibalizing product for the Mac and the iPad, you could assume that where the Apple Watch and stuff could persist as mobile devices. Um, you're kind of advocating as Apple that everyone has screens in front of their eyeballs all day, every day, working or leisure. So I think this will be the massive societal shift of whether we want to have stuff in front of our eyeballs even closer every single day. What do you two make of that? Well, it was funny because they had the the doctor on just before this segment talking about screen mm. <laughs> screen distance. Exactly. And then immediately exactly. went into strap that shit to your face. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? I'm confused. <laughs> How is that? That was a weird transition, but okay. I, I anyway, thank you for tolerating my tolerating my long rant there. But you know what I mean? It feels kind of contradictory well i I think you're exactly right though like the phone thing if you go to a concert there's 15 phones up recording the concert instead of being at the concert or you can you can illustrate a million of those examples all day long and like all all technology that we get is always like apocalypse first and then like useful later and and this is no different i think that's exactly what you're saying so i'm not surprised that that's sort of where it goes to initially and I think also all technology sort of ends up being something different than it started out as generally. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think it'll be 
it will be intriguing to see like where this does go and, and maybe it goes nowhere. Maybe, maybe this is the first product that's like an absolute just bomb and it is a gen one never to be seen again. I doubt it, but it's possible. I mean, all, you know, in an infinite time scale, all things are possible. So we'll, we'll see. But I honestly think in Apple's brain, they, they see this as replacing the Mac and the iPad. Yeah. Possibly. Mainly. Possibly. An iPhone and Apple Watch have their on-body mobile. Yeah. I, I still like that even if I if I happen to be, you know, addicted to my phone doing a thing, I do like that I could just kind of throw it on the table or walk out of the room and it's gone. I, I do think that having a thing on your body for eight hours a day is almost never going to be comfortable or acceptable to anyone. It's just, it's just not like physically it's going to be annoying to have this thing on for that long. Like it can get as small as you want. I mean, it, Martin, you wear glasses every day. At some point you just want to take the goddamn glasses off your face and like give your face a rest. And that's just glasses. Honestly, the most exciting thing that I saw was when they connected it to a Mac. And I was like, <laughs> oh, crap, I could have like a 400-inch screen in front of me. <laughs> you know how big my dock could be? That's going to be great. <laughs> so, like, already. And you put it on the side, of course, right? Oh, absolutely. All that screen real estate. Yeah, so much so much space. Um, yeah, so, I, I, you know, I think let's wait and see. Um, and... I'm sure we'll have more to say as time goes on. Um, once I get the call to get the sneak, the secret sneak peek at it, I'll inform everybody of what I find. All right, folks, that's been 45 minutes. That's show. That's hemispheric views for this week. Tight 45. <laughs> <laughs> Next topic, topic two. Are we ready for topic two now? Yeah.